0: Guys, we're gonna finish the Habakkuk series tonight. We're gonna, um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see how Habakkuk, the book, this this minor prophet, comes to an end. And if you've been with us from the beginning, you know that this is a book that's kind of helping us figure out how to live by faith when we have unanswered questions, when we when we don't actually have all of the answers, when we don't get what God is doing. Habakkuk is helping us see how to walk by faith, how to trust God. So the book, this this prophet Habakkuk, he starts with like calling out to God, with with complaining. God, why is there injustice that you just seem to not care about? Why do these things keep happening? Why Why is there messed up stuff going on around me? And then God answers him. And he tells him he sees what's going on in Judah. He sees what's going on in this nation that Habakkuk's a part of. And he has a plan. He has a plan to, to punish their sin, to punish them for their rebellion against him. But it's actually with a more wicked nation. It's with a pagan nation. That's God's plan. And Habakkuk doesn't really like that plan. Like it's, it's kind of causing him to go, God, that's That seems pretty crazy. Like, why are you going to use a more wicked nation than us to punish us? I don't get it. And so he tells God again, I'm just going to wait for you to tell me something else. And God answers him and he says, no, this is the plan. It's going to come to pass. God's plan to punish his people for their wickedness with an even more wicked nation is going to happen for Habakkuk. God is sending the Babylonians. And then in chapter three, which Jordan started us in last week, we have this prayer, this, this kind of like song prayer that Habakkuk writes, and he's asking God to remember his mercy in wrath. Remember your mercy. Habakkuk's prayer, like, is this this prayer that he's praying, having already realized what God has planned is going to come to pass. It's not going to be great. Like, it's actually going to be a really awful time for him. We're going we're to see tonight that there's actually suffering coming his way. But he's still praying to God. Like, he, he still is actually in prayer. He's still communicating with this God who's told him what's going to take place. He's told him this bad news. How is it possible for a guy like Habakkuk to have trust in God when he knows that God is sending the Babylonians to invade his people? Like, like how is it possible for Habakkuk to trust God? And more than that, how is it possible for him, we're going to find out, he's going to have joy in the midst of the hard circumstances. How is it possible for him to have joy in the hard circumstances? Like, can... Can you have joy when life gets difficult? Do you you have the ability to get joy when God's plans don't really seem to be in line with the plans that you have for your life? How do you get this kind of joy that is not dependent on circumstances? We like the idea of having joy, right? Like having, having this kind of more deep happiness but it's usually difficult and trying times that we realize we're short on joy. Like we, we just actually wanna get through the, the tough times in life as quickly as possible to get to the other side of them so that we can be happy again, we can have some joy. Like life can be better just when we get to this place, wherever it is, like we, we sometimes are just like fixed on some later time. That's the, that's the time that we've kind of fixed our joy Being on? Is it really possible to have joy that's like independent of circumstances? Is it possible to have joy in hardship? And if so, how do we get it? That's what we're going to ask tonight. So open up to Habakkuk chapter 3. Give you a minute to turn there. We're going to be in verses 16. Through 19 tonight. Finishing the book, Habakkuk 3 16 through 19. I'm just going to read verse 16 for us. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Guys, this is, this is an anxiety attack. Like Habakkuk is, Habakkuk is really worked up. He is physically showing that he is, he is panicked. God has told Habakkuk his fate, that the Babylonians are, are coming. He's, he's trembling because he knows what's going to happen when they come. Another nation is coming in to destroy his nation. Habakkuk's afraid for his life. Yet this is interesting because Habakkuk earlier on, if you remember in the book, he didn't really seem to be at a place where he could quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the Babylonians. He, he couldn't actually even get his mind around why God would do this in the first place. This is a completely different response for Habakkuk. But nothing has changed, right? Like the the plan of God to send the Babylonians hasn't changed at all. Let me just show you again, remind you what Habakkuk said back in chapter one, verse 12. He said, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. And now in chapter three, he just says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He's, he's changed. He's actually had something in him change. The same future reality, but now he's landed in a completely different spot. And he knows that what's coming might mean death for him. Certainly, certainly some of his people are going to die. And it's it's actually just in this time that he's having this physical distress that he can rest and trust in God. Like Habakkuk couldn't wrap his mind around what God was going to do. And now he's not only accepted it, he seems, have, he seems to have peace. But how did Habakkuk get to this place? Like How does, how does he go from where he was in chapter 1 to now in chapter 3? How does he get there? How does he get to this place of rest and trust in God's justice? I'm going to read for us the rest of the book, the rest of the verses that we got tonight, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. So this is still Habakkuk's prayer, his like song prayer, right? And he is seeing what life is going to look like for him and for his people when the Babylonians come. And it's, it's not good, right? Like, there's going to be a famine. And in fact, the things that he lists here, right, the fig trees, the produce of the olive, they actually get progressively worse. He, he lists them from bad to worse. He is saying first that the fig tree should not blossom. He's seeing this day when the fig tree's not going to blossom. Figs in Habakkuk's day were kind of like this delicacy. They were like something that you would just enjoy from time to time. You wouldn't really have them every day. Think of it kind of like dessert. Like I could probably go for a while without my Ben and Jerry's, maybe a week or two. that That would try me a little bit. But I can go without it. In a hard time, I could go without it for a little bit. Okay? But this list goes from bad to worse, right? The next, he says, the produce of the olive fail. He's seeing the olive tree is gonna fail too and olives sorry we missed fruit didn't we okay no nor nor fruit beyond the vines fruit again there's more food than fruit but no fruit would actually mean no wine and in Habakkuk's day they would drink wine like pretty much every day which some of you are like that sounds sweet but again you could go without dessert and wine right maybe okay Then, he says, the produce of the olive fail. This wouldn't just be like, there's no olives. That would mean there's no heat, there's no light, there's no oil for them. And so, surely this is worse, right? Like, you you wouldn't rather have, like, your dessert and your wine for a long period of time and no heat and light, right? Especially when, keep looking, the flock... Be cut off from the fold. The fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. That's going to mean there's no wheat, no no grain for food. And then the flock be cut off from the fold. There's no there's no sheep. There's no cattle. There's there's even less food. Like this is this is a bad famine. This isn't just like there's some food shortages. There is there's no food in the land. And it wouldn't just mean that there's no food, like not having sheep and not having cattle would mean there's, there's no sheep to get wool to warm your family when you already don't have oil for heat. And there's no cattle to get the fields ready for the next year to potentially get some food. This is a multi-year famine, this is, this is bad. And so Habakkuk isn't sugarcoating things, right? He, he's being real with what he's facing. This is not him just kind of saying, I'll get through it. Like, it's not that bad. He's being real. This is bad. The animals aren't just missing, right? They're, they're dead. There, there is little hope. But we need to ask, how in the world can he have joy? when he's looking into this time of hardship, how can a guy who's had God tell him what's going to take place? How can he still have joy? How can he still be praying to this God? And he's, he's sure of it. Like this is still something that he's seeing in the future. How can he be sure that in this time, when it comes, he's going to have joy? Guys, look at verse 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. None of Habakkuk's joy is tied to the things that give him comfort, like dessert, like the figs and and even his wine. Like his, his joy, his trust isn't in those things and it's not even in the things that sustain his life like gives him food for his belly the crops none of it he's not saying that his joy comes from that his joy comes from the lord a famine is on the horizon and yet he has joy in the lord and he's he's faced with death and yet he has joy His joy doesn't come from his circumstances, but from the Lord. And it's the same Lord, the the same God that he is getting joy from, that he knows is allowing this to take place. That sounds impossible for him to believe, right? For him to have joy in that. And his answer for us, right? What he's doing, it's, it's not to just think more positively, to look at it with like the glass half full type of attitude instead of the glass half empty, right? That's not what he's doing. He's literally writing this this song, this prayer about how bad it's gonna be. You and I can't like just produce that kind of joy, can we? We like we 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 can't do it. We we can't change our circumstances sometimes. Like God's in control of that, actually, always. And remember, in the beginning, Habakkuk couldn't accept what God was gonna do. But now he's gotten to this place where he finds his joy in the Lord. And it transcends all of his circumstances. What we can do, you and me, or we can go wrong in this quest for joy and, in, and even just figuring out for ourselves if God is really good or not, is we do what, what Tim Keller calls, we like to infer the justice, or we like to infer the goodness of God based upon the good things in our life. So if our life's going really well, that must mean God is good. But we also think that we're in the place of being able to judge if God is actually good based on the circumstances in our life. Like, if our life is going great, maybe God is good. And we assume that that's how to find out if God is good. Instead, we need to consider who God is, not what our life is or isn't, but who God is, because all of us would agree that this this deadly famine that Habakkuk is headed into isn't a good thing at all, right? But this is the guy who's saying, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How does this work? How does he find this joy in the Lord? Guys, I think Habakkuk came into direct contact with the goodness of God. He didn't, he didn't try to decide or make up in his mind if God was good or not. He actually must have done something here from even just the beginning of his, his book to now to see and to come into contact with the goodness of God. The goodness and glory of God that outweighs all of his suffering. He doesn't find peace and joy in his circumstances. He finds it in God, in who God is. Guys, God is infinite in goodness. What I, what I want us to do is actually just to, to zoom out for a minute and look at the book as a whole and see kind of the movement that he makes to get to this place, to come into contact with the goodness of God. Like how he gets this kind of joy. There's four kind of movements in the book. In this three-chapter book, there's four movements. The first one is lament, Habakkuk laments. He he has this faith-filled complaint. He called out to God about the injustice he was seeing, about the, the corruption in his land. He laments. But he, he moves from lamenting to waiting, right? There's, there's actually two complaints in the book. Both of them are in chapter one, but he waits for God to answer. The second one is wait, so lament and then wait. After calling out to God, he waits because he knows that God is trustworthy, that he is worth waiting to hear from, that, that he is going to answer his prayer. It might not be the way he thinks he wants it to be answered, but he's going to wait. And then the third thing is he remembers. He remembers who God is. He remembers what God has done in the past. He looks back into history, and, has, and he sees how God has been faithful to his covenant people. That's that's actually the beginning of chapter three. That's what he does. He looks and he sees God's goodness over all of Israel's history, how kind and patient he's been, how he's he's brought them through so many things. But he doesn't just stop at remembering. He moves to worship, right? He, He gets to this place here where even in dire circumstances, he can rejoice. So he laments, he waits, he remembers, and he gets to worshiping God because he sees what God has done in the past and he sees his goodness. Lament, wait, remember, worship. I think these are actually four practices that we need in our life. Because we, we're gonna actually go out and, and the rest of this year, I think even we're, we're not just gonna like now arrive and get how to just do this and it's just gonna happen like that. We need some practices in our lives to lead us to come into contact with the goodness of God, to come directly into contact with who God is. It's like we almost need a training plan get ourselves there. Like if if an Olympic athlete needs a training plan and a diet, we need some things that help us to get to this hard-earned place where we come into contact with the goodness of God. We train ourselves to know who God is and we know Him. It doesn't happen by accident. There are some disciplines to the Christian life that don't earn us favor with God, but they help us get into contact with the goodness of God and remind ourselves of who He is. Like we need to put our faces in our Bibles to remember who God is and to come into His presence. We don't don't read our Bibles because we need some like tidbit of wisdom. No, the Bible actually isn't for that. It's not to to make us a more successful person or to help us in certain areas. It's ultimately a book about God. It's how we know God. This is how we come into contact with the goodness of God. It helps us remember who God is. We need to know who God is from his trustworthy, breathed, Outward. You guys, in hard times, we need to actually remember who God is. Look with me at verse 19. He says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk is saying, God makes his feet like that of a deer. Like a deer can run up these steep cliffs. He can a deer can be on these really challenging technical bits of terrain and not lose its footing. Habakkuk has this stable footing, even in the times when he is he's trembling and quivering, and he just doesn't feel like he is. Is safe, right? And yet he's physically saying that at the same time he is stable. He has this inner peace in his soul because he knows who God is. God makes his feet like the deer. Habakkuk lived by faith through probably the most trying time in his life because he remembered who God is. His lips, his whole body could be trembling and yet he could feel safe and secure in God because of who God is and what God has done for him. He could rejoice in the midst of what was an awful thing to anticipate. But you guys... You know who else's body trembled, whose, whose lips quivered, who who experienced great anxiety? God. In Christ, God subjected himself to the most unjust act of all human history. Jesus in the garden. Didn't just tremble, but his sweat turned to drops of blood. Knowing what was before him, knowing what he would endure through being beaten and mocked and hung on a cross, he trembled. God came that low. And Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross for you and for me and that is where God shows his love and his infinite goodness most clearly for us. He was put in the tomb and on the third day God rose Jesus from the dead in victory declaring that he had won and That's not the end of the story, you guys. One day Jesus will return and we will be with the source of perfect joy for eternity. We will be with him. We can can put our hope in God. We can trust in God when it looks like it's actually the worst time in our life because he has actually taken the cross. We can have hope beyond death, so that means anything that can happen to us in life, any circumstance, the worst thing that can happen is we die. And that death is only a means to being in the presence of Jesus. You guys, the power and justice of our god should make us tremble. We need to be people who actually look back and see god's goodness and his kindness on the cross, how seriously he treats sin, but yet at the same time how merciful and loving and good he is to us. There's no other salvation Nothing and no one else actually compares to the kind of joy that he brings, an everlasting joy that can't be taken from you, that no circumstance can take. God is our joy in hardship. God is our joy in hardship, Salt Company. And he has purchased it for us by his blood. The world doesn't have this kind of joy, you guys. The world world only has joy that's affixed to certain things, to circumstances. We who are in Christ have a joy that's actually affixed to someone, the perfect one, the one who died for us. But the world needs to actually see this joy in you when you suffer, because Jesus, He didn't promise you that actually life would be easy. He didn't promise you that it would be void of suffering. He himself suffered. And the world needs to see the joy that Jesus gives you. Following Jesus is not the path to a pain-free life, but it is the path to a joy-filled life that will last for an eternity, and that's better. We can show God as our treasure Saw Company, by worshiping him in hardship. The world needs to see this type of joy that's not shaken by circumstances, not shaken by the worst things that happen in life. Roommates, teammates, family, they need to see that you have come into contact with the goodness of God through Jesus in the midst of a trial, that's actually the perfect time to put who Jesus is on display and, and what he offers you, joy in the worst circumstances. Just like Habakkuk in the dark times and in the deepest, most dark valley of his life, we need to do this work of remembering who God is, both his, his past works his action to save his people and his future promises in Jesus that he is going to one day wipe every tear from our eyes. He's going to bring us into his kingdom and he is going to be our joy. One of the ways that we actually can center ourselves around who God is and one of the ways we can remember God's goodness is actually through, through singing songs together. This prayer is a song, remember? He, he writes this prayer being, beginning, and he says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigenoth. That's this musical tune. And today, still, this is what we need. Our hearts and our minds need to be regularly stirred to worship God, but at the same time they serve another purpose. They they praise God, and yet at the same time, they help us to remember who God is. They help us to, to look to the future glory that we have in Christ. One of the ways that we can center ourselves around who God is is worshiping together. It serves two purposes. I want to tell you guys how Habakkuk actually served you. You see, this is a short book, but later in the New Testament, Peter, the Apostle Peter, would write in his letter to Christians, to people who believed in Jesus, about guys like Habakkuk. And I'm just going to turn there. I want to actually just read this to you. So if you have a Bible, just just let me read the word of God over you. This is what he says about this great salvation that we have in Jesus. What Habakkuk has done to serve us. He says this in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched, We get to see something even more fully than what Habakkuk saw. Yet he knew that there was something greater coming, that God had a greater, more glorious plan than he could even at his time see. And that was to send the Christ, this suffering Savior. And it was revealed to him that he wasn't serving himself. He wasn't even just serving only his people in his day, but he was serving you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. And now you get to be these people with the gospel who preach the good news, who share of who Jesus is because he's been revealed. And this is the most glorious thing in the world. It's the thing that angels long to look into, that God would plan from eternity past to come into the world to save sinners, that he would put on human flesh, that he would take up a cross just because he's so great and he's so good and he loves us. Angels long to look at this salvation that God has accomplished you guys we worship a god who deals with and brings his perfect justice against every single sin he punishes all injustice yours and mine but if your life belongs to Christ by faith god has taken that punishment God has taken the just wrath that that deserved. He didn't have to do that. Jesus, the righteous one, the innocent one, took your place, and angels long to look into it. This is the God that we get to worship. This is the God who gives us joy in the worst times in life, And this is the God who says all of your suffering will only be a light momentary affliction preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have this source of joy in your suffering, and your suffering won't be used for something that's beyond comparison you need to accept Jesus tonight by faith. You need to come to him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. All he's asking you, he's beckoning you to do is to repent of your sin, to trust in what he's done. He's shown you his love for you. He's died for you on the cross. And his joy can be yours. You guys, we're going to worship. We're going to have this extended bit of worship and we are going to sing the praises of the God who saved us, who's who's infinitely good and the God who has angels that long to look even today and will for an eternity into his beautiful, amazing salvation that he has accomplished in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love for us, how you endured the cross for us, how you, you, subjected yourself to becoming like us and not just becoming like us but taking our sin by suffering for us, by hanging on a cross for for us broken sinners, undeserving sinners, people who had no hope, people who were without you. You came out of your love and out of your goodness. God, please help us to see you for who you are as we sing. Help us to help us to See that you are are good, that you offer us joy in life, that in your presence there is fullness of joy. We praise you for how you have saved us and have loved us. We pray in your name. Amen.